Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Samantha Pille. She overcame physical limitations from birth and became South Australia's first female urological surgeon. She's a passionate businesswoman and entrepreneur and founder of Continence Matters, a center of excellence in treating urinary incontinence and the creator of an online course for health professionals. Samantha is a three-time international Amazon number one bestseller author, and her book, No Recipe Cookbook, helps kitchen phobes save time, money, and calories with basic cooking tips. She has a picture book series which inspires children to dream big and aim high, instilling self-belief and challenging career gender stereotypes, and her international e-commerce business promotes a serious message with a smile. Samantha was one of the four finalist nominees for South Australia, Australian of the Year 2022, and a finalist for Telstra Best of Business Awards 2023. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you, Marissa. I'm I'm glad to be here, and thank you for that introduction. So many accolades. I don't know where to start. Uh, Why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your story and how you became the South Australia's first female urological surgeon? The, the so that part of my career was I was always interested in surgery. Um, I had a lot of surgery as a child and spent a lot of time in hospital. I also was, as a result of my interest, did some work experience at when I was fifteen in surgery and went off to medical. I finished school when I was sixteen. I was a bit of an academic and went off to medical school with the idea of becoming a surgeon. And everyone said you know, oh, it's okay for women to do medicine. That's really good. We have equal numbers now, but whatever you do, don't do surgery because it's not family friendly. And that's what you shouldn't do if you're a woman. And of course you can't do surgery because you can't stand for long hours and operate because of your hips. So, you know, like most teenagers, that's like, you know, red rag to a bull. So I'm sure that spurred me on. Um, Now it wasn't just that no men had done urology in my state and that it's focused on prostate disease and men's health uh, and men's reproductive systems, that that wasn't enough. It was, it, there were probably other factors that a lot of the operations are actually short, um, that a lot of the operations can be done sitting down. Um, and there were some surgical specialties where, you know, you might have to get up in the middle of the night and start a 30-hour operation that were just they really were not on the cards for me. So there were other factors that influenced the career choice um, in urology. And then it kind of was like, well, a lot of incontinence didn't get handled that well. It didn't even get a big focus in our urology training program, yet it affects, you know, a huge proportion of women, like a third of women who've had a baby. And I was realized as the only woman I was going to get a lot. So rather than just kind of doing it well, I wanted to do it extremely well. I said, okay, I'm just going to do that and nothing else. Um, so I don't do any general urology, stones or cancers, 
and thought maybe that would be family friendly. I'll only have to work two days a week, not realizing how big the market was because we didn't actually have the studies back then. And I've been very busy working full-time ever since over the last 20 years. Um, so subspecialized, one of the first urologists really subspecialized at those times in Australia. That it, Subspecialization was already quite well entrenched in um, the US, but not so much here. Um, and that meant starting my own business, starting my own subspecialty center, realizing that I love entrepreneurship business, being a founder. Um, and that's just taken me on a whole lot of journeys. Um, what loved inspiring the next generation because I was like, God, if I can do it, anyone can. Um, and I know it does seem a little bit of a leap to, um, books, but I am that sort of idea. If I can do it, this, I mean, God, think of it. If I can do it, then anybody can do it. And I was time poor, couldn't exercise, had to manage my weight because of my hips. And it's like, oh, well, God, I've just realized that if I throw my cookbooks away and cook intuitively without a recipe, my life, you know, and I shop once a fortnight, my life is fantastic. I write a book about it. And then it's like, oh, in actual fact, you can really overcome the barriers if you're passionate and you really want to do something. And those stereotypes form actually from the age of three. So I shouldn't be talking to, you know, parents or teenagers or uni students. I need to talk to the little kids. So it has, that's how it has evolved. It might seem really random, the things I do, but they, they are connected loosely. <laughs> I love how you determine your target audience was a, a little kid. I think that's fantastic because that's exactly where we get imprinted with our ideas and our values and our expectations and everything that drives us to be who we are, right? Um, so that's fantastic. It starts with self-belief. So you must have had a lot of it. So you mentioned uh, you overcame physical limitations from birth, but you must have had a positive environment, right, that was imprinted on you to, to give you that drive because you're so driven and you have just, I can tell you have a passion for life and you have a passion for just doing and getting things done. And you don't have that limitation that most people have put on themselves. Yeah, I... I, that is really interesting. Um, and in actual fact, the answer is probably no. I, and so maybe for me, it was partly fueled by self doubt um, and wanting to prove myself um, against the odds. I also didn't fit. So with stereotypes, it's like, oh, you being a surgeon, you know, it might not be pretty, it might not be feminine, it might not be fashionable, it's not seen as society as family friendly. So there's all these stereotypes. Now, I was slightly free of those stereotypes. I came, my parents mixed marriage. Um, I was in a, a school where, you know, I was, there was no one, I was the darkest colored skinned person in my class. And the only one that had any, um, you know, that there was, I think, one person of sort of Italian and one person of Greek heritage, but a very, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon Caucasian background. So I was the coloured girl. Um, I couldn't exercise or play sport. Um, I was very academic. Um, you know, I had to struggle to keep myself from being slightly chubby, which would be considered as skinny in today's terms, uh, in, but in those days. And or everything was against me. So I, I, I wasn't uh, Asian. I wasn't English, um, from my which was my parents' heritage. I wasn't Australian, um, and that probably liberated me from some of those stereotypes. Wow! So you you kind of 
just said, I don't have any limitations, so I can do just about anything. That's a very unique perspective for someone in your situation. I think that's fantastic because many people would say, you know, I don't have any mentors. I don't have anyone that I resonate with. So I don't have any limit. You know, I don't, um, I don't, they, they wouldn't know what to aspire to, right? So it might keep them down because we're always looking for role models and we're always looking for mentors. Um, so yeah. where did you find your role models and mentors growing up? So I was pretty lonely, you know, as far as social, as far as friendships. Um, I couldn't, you know, go on school camps. I couldn't play sport. I, I, at lunch, I'd have to sit and watch the other kids play. You know, I was in a wheel, wheelchair when I started school. I couldn't even kind of move. So I didn't really have role models. I didn't have strong role models. Um, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. Uh and I didn't really have positive relationships. So that all sounds very weird. But what happened was I re- I looked at my future and I thought, and I was in chronic pain all the time. And I thought, I uh, if no one can help me, there's nobody. Absolute, I've got absolutely nobody to help me. No one can fix my problems. No one can help my pain. No one cares. No one wants to even hear about it you know I don't need to, to whinge um no one wants to hear a whinger and I thought to myself well it's up to me I can either look for sympathy and self-pity look for f- handouts and spend a life on a disability pension and live a pretty poor life or I can do what I want and it's a uh, it's my responsibility and nobody else's and no one's coming to save me so you took that where what most people Many people would go into like a woe is me, right? Victim mentality and not achieve anything. And you spun that around and achieved so many things. Um, That's just fantastic. Yeah. And I think that has always driven me. I've always sort of gone, what can I do for myself? And that's one of the reasons I've been passionate about chronic disease, because I've had this lens as a healthcare provider where, you know, as a surgeon, you're always fixing people's problems. And then you go, mm, an actual fact, they're much more powerful than I am. You know, 80% of chronic disease is preventable, or the heart disease, obesity, diabetes, exercise, you know, it, it people could actually change their destinies. They have that choice. And they're much, you know, that it, preventing a problem is very different to going to a surgeon and getting a diagnosis and then trying to fix it. So, um, I'm very passionate about health prevention. Um, I've had to look after my health, you know, if I, two kilos is that much more pain, you know. So if you've got a a mobility issue. So that has always driven me to be my best because the, the second best is the reality, the reality of the consequences of not getting off my butt and doing something is very real to me. So you live your life being of service to so many other people, right? Do you, are you now, do you still, do you still ride solo when it comes to supporting yourself and looking for how to move forward? Are you able to now knowing what you can do for other people? Are you able, and that there are people who want to help like you, do you, do you ask for help now? No, I'm very, very, very bad. I'm very bad. Very bad. Uh, You know, if you want me to confess, yes, I don't go out. I don't drink. I don't have a lot of friends. I don't really socialize. I'm so busy working that I've been able to completely um, ignore that aspect. But I am a wonderful mother and I have a fantastic son. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't wanted anything for me. Um, so it's not that I want it and I don't get it. I don't want it. So I have to create that desire. Um, I'm still a work in progress and I do realise um, I'm in my sort of mid-50s that as I sort of move forward, I do need to try and find or things to do, but I have to build a desire. You know, my perfect day is get up in the morning and just work all day. That's a, that's a long, busy day. <laughs> well, especially because sometimes I'll get up at one o'clock in the morning so I can get five hours in before I go to work. Oh, my goodness. Do you do anything for downtime? Do you do any relaxing at all? I, housework, ironing, um, <laughs> writing a book, um, uh, masterclass, like learning. I love learning. Um, I Yeah, maybe not the sort of things that other people do. But those are still very relaxing things. You know, those are things they can be very meditative, ironing and cleaning. All of that could be very meditative. Writing is is huge. I mean, you know, in in my coaching, I always you know, a lot of my coaching uh, program is around journaling and journal prompts and getting, you know, things on paper. So writing is very much like that as well. Very relaxing. Those are very relaxing things. Doesn't fit in the category of self-care like hey, I'm getting my nails done or I'm going to the spa, but it still fits into that. So you do get that relaxation, that, you know, that kind of balance around there. Yeah, and I love making up recipes and, you know, out of because I like to be able to do something really good really fast, really efficiently without any messing up. So my lifestyle has created, channeled me to develop the skill, the, the skills um, so, you know, I think, I, I mean, I'm happy. I'm not, it doesn't worry me. I used to worry about not having enough sleep. I don't worry anymore. I used to worry about, you know, not going out enough. It doesn't worry me anymore. I used to worry about working too much. Now, I, I, it doesn't worry me anymore. So I think, you know, that, that that's what happens with that age. We, we, we're more comfortable in our own skin. Absolutely. There, there's a few times that I sleep much less, you know, now that I'm older and I'll literally, I'll get up at like two o'clock in the morning and it's like, I'm really not that tired. I'm just going to get up. Like, I, you know, there's no reason to force myself to go to sleep if I don't need it, you know? And so we have to, we have to give ourselves that grace and just get, kind of let our bodies talk to us and, and tell us, you know, how, how we should be throughout the and day. Those stereotypes about, you know, women, what's a good career for a woman or what, you know, I don't think, I think my career has made me a better mother, not a lesser mother. I, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to work for myself so I can take holidays off and you know um I've got an income as a surgeon that allows us to travel gives experiences to my son means having a nanny not childcare, having my own time you know not having to apply for leave so you know all the ideas that people have that this is a bad career um is been for me what what I could have been a, a dream job as a mum so and so it's busting these myths and these stereotypes that uh, that follow on from what you were just saying that we just have this like um somehow decide that this is the boundaries that we and that we should fit into this box about sleep or about a career or about what we should do in life and or how we should live our lives that are based on nothing except these like imaginary walls that we've put up and suddenly you take right. it down and go, oh my god what, what did I, why was i why did i build that wall Right. It's like these old war stories or ancestor stories that are imprinted in us. Somehow we don't know where they came from, but we just live by them, which is so odd. 
um, we have to break those barriers. So are there any other women, um, have, you, have you seen other women following your footsteps? Yeah, obviously now there's, I mean, when I, when I finished my training as a surgeon, let's, just under 4% of surgeons in Australia were women. Fast track 21 years, 22 years, and now it's 14%. So there's been a 10% increase in a few decades. So, so yes is the answer. Um, but, you know, it. I think there was a study that looked at the US, which is what, um, I think orthopedic surgery in the US has the lowest rate, like 8%, and they work at, worked out that the current uh, trajectory, it's going to be 326 years to reach gender parity in orthopedic surgery in the US. So, you know, yes, glacial movement in that area. Um, and like with all things, the, the um, at the top, you know, heads of departments and the decision makers, much lower rates. You know, it's just like in business, you know, they'll have women on boards, but less chairs of the boards. It's the same right. in surgery. So, there is, um, and we've just had International Women's Day, you know, um, uh, definitely still a lot of work to do moving forwards. Absolutely. We, we got a lot of work to do, women. If you're listening, get out there, be a leader, do your thing, and you can achieve just about anything. Um, well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you, Samantha? The easiest way is my name. So samanthapillay.com. That's my website. Um, the shops, shopsamanthapillay.com. Um, my website leads to links. So, you know, hook up with me, LinkedIn, um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, um, and find out more about the books. If you've got kids, you can download free colouring pages and activities uh, for the kids from the website. So, uh, And there's a few recipes if you can't cook. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Great having you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.